Good morning, International Church of Prague. It's been over seven months since we were able to gather together as a church family for worship. That's a long time to be separated. What I want to encourage you to do is to think about where you would normally sit on a Sunday morning, whether it's up in the balcony, whether it's over on the far side or over close to the windows, wherever it is that was kind of your place, think about the people that you would see sitting close to you. And I want to encourage you to simply send them a message and say, I miss you. I miss seeing you. I miss being together as a church family in worship. We can't wait until the day comes when um, the COVID crisis is passed to the point where we can gather together and this place is once again filled with the International Church of Prague family. But in the meantime, let's encourage one another. So let me ask you to take time right now and send a message to someone that you would normally see on a Sunday morning, either near where you sit or out in the foyer, someone that you miss talking to. And let them know that you love them, that you care about them, and you're looking forward to us being back together again. If we do that, I know it will encourage many, because there are a great many who are lonely. The isolation can be difficult. Well, when you look at the world around us, are you confused? Do you wrestle with understanding what's going on and, and to some degree, what God is doing about it? Last week, our message reflecting on the patience of God, there seemed to be many who could relate to those questions. Alizar shared such a beautiful and transparent reflection on his own journey and the anxieties over the uncertainties that surround us and what God was showing him through those questions and what God showed him through a time of worship in song. All of us walk through those seasons. We walk through those challenges. Well, when Alizar was sharing, he, he read a passage of scripture from Habakkuk 3, and it's an incredible song of worship in the darkness. And I believe the Lord brought forward that passage to meet people right where they are today. So I wanna take a couple of weeks as a transition out of our re series to begin looking at worshiping in the dark. And we're gonna turn to the book of Habakkuk. So I wanna encourage you to get your Bible, either your physical Bible or an app that you have on your phone or your tablet, and turn to the book of Habakkuk. And let's begin to explore what was happening to this lonely prophet and the world that he was experiencing and see how it can teach us about God's justice, God's mercy, and God's work when everything around us seems to be dark. If you've never read this book, I wanna encourage you over the next few weeks, spend some time, it's only three chapters, and examine it. Allow the Lord's word to speak to your heart because God met with Habakkuk in the midst of his questions and he learned to worship in the darkness and to wait for God to act. Habakkuk lived in the city of Jerusalem in the late 7th century before Christ under the reign of King Josiah. And Josiah brought prosperity, justice, and most importantly, a restoration of faith to the kingdom of Israel. Josiah had taken people back to God's word and he brought back the truth of who God was and what he was doing in their midst to the people. King Jehoiakim, who took the throne after Josiah, did not, however. He didn't share the same legacy, the same conviction. His works were evil, 
and the kingdom saw great corruption on every level. During the time of King Jehoiakim, Habakkuk looked around and he saw injustice, violence, rape, sin, oppression, fraud, human trafficking, misery, idolatry, and contempt of God. The truth is, the conditions were very similar to our world today. So let's look at the questions of Habakkuk. Turn in your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says this, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save. There's a strong association between injustice and violence. The powerful in society use their influence to exercise violence using the judicial system to their advantage over those who didn't have the same access and privileges. Violence then includes not just physical violence, but the abuse of power whether it was economic, social, political, or religious. Habakkuk looks around and he sees a great deal of injustice and violence. And he's asking God, will you not rescue the vulnerable? Verse three, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? The word iniquity can be translated fraud as well. The poor and the vulnerable were being taken advantage of. The people weren't being listened to. Their needs were not being met. He goes on to say, destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Well, the word translated destruction and violence in the ESV that I'm reading from includes human destruction in the form of kidnapping, slavery, human trafficking, and using people even as human shields in war. It was the destruction of humanity that grieves Habakkuk deeply. What is before him causes him to ask questions, to try to wrestle with what's going on. And then he sees strife, division, and contention growing at a rapid rate. And the result is that the law that is supposed to protect people, that is supposed to preserve culture, that is supposed to preserve society and right and wrong, seems paralyzed. Habakkuk saw everything around him being destroyed by the wicked and the powerful. And many were suffering because of it. And so he naturally had a lot of questions. So let's look at Habakkuk's questions. Habakkuk raises four important questions that most of us wrestle with at some point. The first question in essence that he asks is, God, are you listening? Do you really hear me? The second question is, God, why is this happening? The third question is, God, how long will this last? And fourthly, he asks, God, what are you doing about it? Have you asked the Lord those kind of questions? Maybe you're at a point right now in your life where you're asking them right now because of a trial that you're facing, because of uncertainty that you're going through. You may be asking, God, are you listening? Why is this happening? How long will it last? And Lord, what are you doing about it? 
Habakkuk asks these questions because what he knows to be true of God and what he is experiencing in the world seems to be at odds with one another. For Habakkuk, at that point in time, life doesn't make sense. This message that we see here in Habakkuk is profound because it raises deep questions about the workings of God in history. Why God does what he does, why he does it in the way that he does, and why sometimes it seems from our limited view as if he isn't doing anything. But it's even more profound because of the answers that God gives to Habakkuk. We're going to look at those more closely next week, but today we're going to begin to introduce you to the answers that Habakkuk discovers from the Lord himself about what God is doing. And what he discovers is absolutely amazing. Now, Habakkuk had a problem. He had lived through a period of national revival where people were turning to the Lord, followed by a period of spiritual decline. And when he cried out to God about it, God replied that he was sending the Chaldeans to be an agent of judgment on the people. The Chaldeans merged into Babylon, and so this prophecy is about Israel being conquered by the Babylonians and led away into captivity. And this was not at all what Habakkuk wanted. He had been looking for another season of revival. But in addition to not getting what he desired, he now had a further problem that was confusing his heart and his mind because it was tough for him to reconcile God's actions with what he knew of God's justice. You see, what he was being told was that he and his people were going to enter into a time of trial and suffering. One thing that binds the believing world and the unbelieving world together is suffering. We all have questions when we go through seasons of suffering. But our viewpoint should be very different than that of the world. We serve a very good God who is working even in the brokenness, even in the pain, even in the darkness. You see, God uses suffering in our lives to purify us, to transform us, to make us more like Jesus. The brokenness that Habakkuk sees amongst God's people at first doesn't seem to make sense. Habakkuk can't figure out why God doesn't judge the evil that he sees and bless those who follow him. Well, in order to help us truly understand this, we need to look at God's answer to Habakkuk. Look at verse 5 in Habakkuk chapter 1. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Did you see what God said there? He says, if I told you, you would not believe it. That's God's message to us as well. The truth is God is doing something in our world, in his church, in the nations, in your family, and in our own lives that is far bigger than the circumstances we see on the surface. In essence, God tells Habakkuk, you're too nearsighted. You're only seeing a small portion of what is happening. You need a higher vantage point. You need to see things from my viewpoint. God tells Habakkuk, I am doing something. 
But the truth is, if I showed you all that I'm doing, it would be more than you could possibly comprehend. I've told you frequently over the last few weeks, if we knew what God knows, we would always want what God wants and we would wait for God's timing. God has all the information. He sees what is hidden from us and he knows where the circumstances that we're in will lead. God says to Habakkuk, watch what I'm doing because it is absolutely amazing. You can't see it all right now. You can't take it all in. And if I explained it to you, you wouldn't believe it. Now here's the truth. We have a gift that Habakkuk didn't have. We have the benefit of being able to look back and see some of what God is referring to. We can get a glimpse of what God was doing among the nations that Habakkuk could not yet see. God was doing at least four things that Habakkuk couldn't comprehend. And I believe that God is doing those same four things today in the middle of the questions that we have because he is doing a work in our days that if he told us how all the pieces fit together, we would be amazed and we would struggle with believing it. What was happening in the darkness that Habakkuk couldn't see? What was going on? First of all, God was purifying his people. Trials and captivity are instruments that God uses to discipline his followers. Understand, God is not pursuing your happiness. He is pursuing your holiness to make you more and more like Jesus Christ. And the truth is, Oftentimes, trials and suffering are the very things that God uses to strip away that which is worldly in us so that we can focus on what is eternal. It can be difficult for us to truly comprehend this. One of the great examples that we see of this is in the life of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had gone through a tremendous change in his life. He had been a persecutor of the church and he had been given great insight and great knowledge into God's word after he had an encounter with him on the road to Damascus. But with that, God knew that Paul was gonna wrestle because he had great insight and great knowledge with pride. And so God allowed Paul to have a thorn in the flesh We don't know what that was, but it was some kind of physical suffering that he was enduring. Not because he didn't have enough faith, not because he had a poor understanding of the Lord. He prayed three times fervently for the Lord to take it from him. But God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul came to understand that that thorn in the flesh was actually for his protection and to help him become more and more like the Lord he loved. God does the same thing in our lives. He uses trial and suffering not to punish us, but to transform us, and sometimes even to protect us. And oftentimes it's not even about us. He'll use those same things to work in the lives of others. To become more like Jesus, we need to see our sin for what it is. We need to see our flesh for what it is. And the truth is, We don't look very deeply when everything is going well. It often takes trials for us to be in desperation before the Lord and to come and to surrender to him every part of who we are. So I believe that's a part of what is happening in the background that Habakkuk could not yet see. 
And we'll discover more of this in, in just a few moments. Secondly, God was preparing the world for Jesus' coming. The good news of Jesus is for people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Did you notice what God said to Habakkuk? He said, look among the nations. A huge part of what God was doing was preparing the world to receive the coming of Jesus and the good news of salvation in him. Similarly, today, God is working in ways that we can't see to prepare the world for the return of Jesus. This time, not as Savior, but as King and as Judge. There is so much going on in the darkness that you and I cannot yet see. Let me try to illustrate this by showing you what was happening or what would happen as a result of what God was telling Habakkuk some of the things that he couldn't see. God rose up a king named Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, a Chaldean, to destroy Jerusalem. And he took away thousands of the best and brightest of Israel and Judah. And he took them back to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was wicked and he was extremely prideful. And yet God chose to work through this wicked man and through his regime to accomplish his own purposes. In the book of Jeremiah, God even calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant, not because he trusted in God, but because God used Nebuchadnezzar's own wickedness and pride to further God's purpose. I don't understand it, but I want to show you a small glimpse, a snapshot of what God accomplished during this time. What we know as the Babylonian captivity, which also includes a time under the rule of the Medes and the Persians who conquered Babylon several years after Nebuchadnezzar's death. Here are some of the things that were accomplished that were in preparation for the coming of Jesus. A large portion of the Old Testament was written during this time. Much of it was written in Babylon itself. The book of Daniel, Ezekiel, and Esther were written in Babylon. The book of Daniel, God tells us his plan. He tells us of the rise and fall of empires. So everything that we have in the book of Daniel, which involves God's telling us of his work amongst the nations and his plan to redeem humanity came about because God chose to use this wicked nation and to use a wicked king to bring judgment on his people. Likewise, the prophet Ezekiel also was a captive in Babylon. And through him, God gives us a description of God's glory. We get an insight into the heavenly realm that is more descript than anywhere else in the Bible. And it came during this time of great trial and judgment during the Babylonian captivity. I believe these great visions of God, both in Ezekiel and Daniel, came about in part due to the hardship of their trial and captivity. They were desperate for God. They were cut off from that which was comfortable, that which was familiar. And understand, comfort is often the enemy of true faith. And in those uncomfortable circumstances, God was able to get the attention of Daniel and Ezekiel and reveal his heart and his plan to them. Likewise, the books of Esther, Nehemiah, and Ezra are all connected to this captivity as well. 
Jeremiah and Lamentations also occur in this same time period. The difference is that Jeremiah writes from among the remnant that is left behind in Jerusalem. What is more, during this same time, much of the Talmud, which is the Jews' oral law, comes from this season of captivity. Similarly, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, came during this time. It became the scriptures that provided the source of authority for the early church because they would use that written in the Greek language, which was the language of the world, the language of business, to examine the scriptures and to see if the things that they were seeing were true and lined up with God's word. But the universal language of the day was Greek. And so having a translation of the scripture in Greek was incredibly useful. The translation of the scriptures enabled the church later on to begin to go to all peoples, to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. This is part of what God was saying to Habakkuk when he says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Do you see the key here? To look among the nations. God was telling Habakkuk that his plan was bigger than Israel and Judah. All the nations, every people, was going to hear the good news. His work was so much bigger than that which Habakkuk could see. One of the other things that came during this time period was the synagogues. Before this time, there weren't synagogues in Israel or in Judah. People would go to the temple. The synagogues came out of the captivity. Now that may not seem very important, but you need to realize that the synagogues, which through the diaspora or the scattering of the Jews, which spread to much of the known world, became the birthplaces of the churches. The disciples, as they went into the world, began in the synagogues, where there was a gathering of Jews and those who were God-fearing in the community, and they would teach at the synagogue because it was the focal point in the first century, and that's where much of the church planting happened. All of that happened because of these 70 years of captivity and the judgment that God brought upon his people through the Babylonians and the Chaldeans. Now Habakkuk couldn't see all that. He couldn't take all that in, all that God was doing. He couldn't see the big picture. And because he couldn't see that, the circumstances that he did see seemed distorted. It gave him a a view of God that was out of alignment with who he truly is. The same thing can be true in our life. God is working on a much larger scale. There are events that happen in our world and in our lives that are far bigger than us. But we need to know this. God is not idle. He is working in the midst of our pain, even of our disappointments and our doubts. The third thing that I believe is happening here that Habakkuk couldn't see is that God was pursuing those who do not yet know him. Not only was he preparing the world for Jesus' coming and for the spread of the gospel and the the birth of the church. Not only was he purifying his people, but God was pursuing those who did not yet know him. Everything that God was doing had one goal in mind, and that goal is the gospel. 
the good news of Jesus Christ. Habakkuk does come to see that. Look at what Habakkuk discovers. Turn with me to Habakkuk chapter three, verse 13. Look what it says. It says, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck, Salah. These are Habakkuk's words in response to what God tells him. And we'll look more in depth at what God tells him next week. But the whole point of what he was seeing was God sending salvation to all peoples. It was preparing the way for the anointed one. And who is that? That's the Messiah. It's Jesus Christ. And what would Jesus do? Well, he tells us right there, he would crush the head of the house of the wicked. Who's that? That's Satan. This prophecy goes back to Genesis chapter three about how the Messiah, who would be born of the seed of a woman, which means that he would be virgin born, and that he would crush the head of the serpent and bring judgment upon Satan. The first part of the verse in verse 13 says that this was going out, was going to bring salvation that Jesus offers to all peoples. Habakkuk doesn't understand all that is happening, but he discovers that it's worth it. He discovers that this is part of God's plan to ultimately bring salvation through the Messiah to all peoples. He was going to work through this in such a way that it would accomplish the rescue that every human needs from sin and from death. God was doing far more than Habakkuk could see. God was defeating Satan and saving people. So there's three things that we've seen so far. God was purifying his people. God was preparing the world for Jesus' coming. And God was pursuing those who did not yet know him as Savior and as Lord. But there's one more thing that God was doing that Habakkuk could not see. God was prosecuting the guilty. When you look at God's answer to Habakkuk's question, in chapter two, you see five woes that are pronounced upon the wicked. These woes are judgment. This is the indictment of a prosecutor laying out the evidence against the accused. None of the evil, none of the injustice was going unnoticed by God. He was recording the evidence that would be used in the great white throne judgment by Jesus himself to judge each person who is outside of Christ for what has been done in the flesh. God is saying here, and he's telling not only Habakkuk, but he's telling us that the scales of justice will be balanced. Righteousness, holiness, justice will prevail and the wicked will face the wrath of God. But I want you to notice how Habakkuk responds to that news. Remember, he's, he's wanting judgment to come on those who are wicked. But his response is incredibly beautiful. He responds in the way you and I should respond. First of all, he trembles with fear. And then secondly, we see that he intercedes. Look what it says. Habakkuk chapter three, beginning in verse one. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. 
and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of years, revive it. In the midst of years, make it known. What he's saying so far is, Lord, now that I've seen a more accurate picture of who you are and what you're doing, I want your presence to be known more. And I personally am trembling. We read that a few verses later. I'm personally, I'm honoring you. And I want to see your name be known all through the earth. I want you to revive the reputation of who you are and make yourself known. But look what he says at the end of the verse. In wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. Now we'll unpack that more next week, but I want you to think about it. When Habakkuk learns exactly what God is going to do and he sees these woes of judgment, when he sees the evidence of the prosecutor that is being stacked up against the wicked, including those from Chaldeans and the Babylonians, he prays for mercy. He recognizes that eternal judgment is far more serious than balancing the judgment scales on earth. He recognizes that eternity is at stake in the hearts and lives of people. Right now, the circumstances that we're in can seem confusing. It's a time where God, I believe, is purifying his people. I believe he's doing a work of calling those who trust in him to a more accurate understanding of his word, to more accurate understanding of what he is doing amongst the nations, of his heart and his love for all peoples. I believe he's purifying us and he's calling us not to comfort, but to holiness. He's calling us to become more and more like Jesus who willingly suffered on our behalf, who willingly, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the good news, for the sake of you and I, made his priority accomplishing God's will. And he's calling us to the same thing, to live for God's glory, to live in such a way that God is able to use our lives to speak truth and life and hope into the people around us. He's working to purify those who already know him. Secondly, he is preparing the world for Jesus' return. He's preparing the world for the fulfillment of prophecy that will point to the coming of Jesus Christ. He's also pursuing those who do not yet know him. God is working in the midst of things that we cannot see and he's preparing the world for the return of Jesus Christ and he's pursuing those who do not yet know him. That should give us hope. That should give us courage and that should help us to pursue God's purpose for our life with a greater sense of dedication and love. Also though, We need to recognize when we see injustice around us that God is not idle, that he will judge everyone. Every person must bow before Jesus Christ. Every person on the face of the earth has to give an account. The only way to be able to be before a holy, righteous judge is to place our trust in Jesus Christ. And so, Those that we see are wicked. We need to pray the prayer of Habakkuk. 
in wrath, remember mercy. In judgment, remember mercy and pray for their salvation. Pray that they will come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. Because lives, eternal lives, are at stake. There's much more happening in our world and there was much more happening in Habakkuk's day than he could see. God is actively working in powerful ways. And Habakkuk, through the process, learned to worship in the darkness. My prayer is that he will teach us, the Lord will teach you and I, how to worship in the darkness as well.